historically speaking, what happens when you run out of excuses? Who to blame? It's really easy. For governments, it's always the Jews. That's what Vladimir Putin did in, uh, in an interview on Saturday with Megyn Kelly. When answering a question regarding who is responsible for interfering with the U.S. election, Putin said, well, maybe they're not even Russians. Maybe they're Ukrainians or Tartars or Jews, but, but just with Russian citizenship. Oh, Jews, Ukrainians, Tartars. What do all those people have in common? Putin's remarks uh, were surprisingly open. Notice he groups as non-Russian and those who are living within his borders. Ukrainians, which makes sense due to the current conflict going on between Russia and Ukrainian. Tartars, the uh, the country's second largest ethnic group, but if a complicated history with uh, the Russian government. Many Russians blame the Tartars for the uh, Mongol invasions of the 13th century. And damn it, is it too... Is it too soon to joke about that? It is considered one of the darkest times in Russian history. So Putin assigned blame to the uh, uh, the Ukrainians, the Tartars, and Jews. Russians have been using the Jews as the ultimate scapegoat for over a century. Before Hitler even had written Mein Kampf, a group of Russians... Maybe they were Ukrainians or Tartars had wrote the protocols of the elders of Zion. It was written in 1903. Its contents claim to be a a document of a meeting between Jewish leaders discussing their plans on how to take over the world. How, how can we, how can we control the world's economy and control the press? Any of this sound familiar? This is where it came from. Protocols of Zion. Yeah, yeah they, well, they have to drink a lot of Christian blood to do it. The book was proven to be a complete and fabric, a, a complete fabrication and a complete lie. It is propaganda being preached all over the world for over a hundred years, and every from the everyone from the alt right to Louis Farrakhan still make the same accusations and arguments that are pulled straight out of this ridiculous and debunked book. I mentioned before Putin's statement was surprising, and not because he showed anti-Semitism, but because he seemed to reveal it by mistake. Putin was trained by the KGB. He knew exactly what he was doing. He never says things to the media without purpose. Everything Russia is doing right now, whether it's with the far right in Europe or the alt right here in our U.S. or within his own country with his own people, everything revolves around the same tactic. Focus the rage. Focus the rage. In the EU, it's all about taking advantage of the immigrant crisis and stoking the rage. Here at home, they're doing the same thing to us with immigration through racial tension and also Through our left-right divide, what is Russia doing? Stoking the rage. It's all about blaming current enemies, historical, and of course, the Jews. The last time anti-Semitism came out of Russia, a man named Adolf Hitler rose up, and he channeled the rage, the likes of which the world had never seen before. The world is being primed right now in a very similar way. We are being manipulated now by people who want to focus the rage. Putin's comments reveal the Russian playbook. 
And I pray that the entire world will wake up, rise up, and stop it this time before it begins. It's Monday, March 12th. This is the Glenn Beck Program. Hello, Stu. How was your weekend? Wonderful. How about yours? Oh, my... It, mine? Yeah, was it, it was great. Oof, it was great. Yeah. I heard, uh, you know, you said uh, you've watched a couple of Nazi propaganda films this weekend. <laughs> yeah, I so I thought it went pretty well. <laughs> yes, it did. I, I, I'm doing research on some stuff. And, and uh, so I watched two Goebbels films this weekend that when I say to you a Nazi propaganda film, do you expect them to be good or eye roll? Many of them were eye roll. Right. Especially the early ones. Okay, the two that were really, really powerful were were actually, if you put yourself in the mindset of the Germans at the time, they are effective. Really, really effective. Uh, one was on the Jews, and uh, it was it was a movie that was banned uh, right after the war. And they wanted everything destroyed, the Germans did, but East Germany belonged to the Russians, so the Russians saved it. And now we have a copy of it, um, but it was one that was written and, uh, and edited uh, by Goebbels himself. And it, it, it's, it's quite amazing, quite amazing how they just made you hate the Jew. And it was, if, if you're in their mindset, if you had been primed for years, when that came out, it was, yes, okay. Well, that's why I guess so many of them went along with it, right? The other one I watched was uh, I Accuse. This one was, this one could be redone in America today, and nobody would speak out against it. And it's about assisted suicide. But it takes on the children you know, Stu, the handicapped children, the ones who don't have a life worth living. Oh, no. And uh, it makes a very effective, heartfelt case. And as I want to show on TV tonight, the, um, the interesting thing was while they're deliberating, this professor uh, who killed his wife uh, and the doctor who was just saving babies and he wouldn't kill the babies. He he had a change of heart because then he saw what he was doing to these babies. They were living these horrible lives, and uh, so he the the professor decides to kill his wife because she has MS, and we all know that you don't live with MS and have any quality of life whatsoever. So he killed her, and they're in the deliberation. The jury is deliberating. They're sitting there talking about it and they're going back and forth on whether or not and somebody actually says now this is a german propaganda film and if you've been listening and watching over the last couple of weeks this will run your 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 blood will go cold with ice water uh it actually stands up and says yes i know i know it's life but something has to be done <laughs> Something oh. always has to be done. It always, always does. And oh. it never works out for the rights of the people. No. No, it no, doesn't. It never does. What a surprise. And you know, and this you went back to you did a bunch of this on TV last week, seeing how each one of our 
uh, 10 rights in the Bill of Rights have been, you know, mowed over, mowed over, or at least pushed back against. Uh, and now we're seeing it. I guess this is the motivation for you watching several Nazi propaganda films this weekend was this op-ed in the Washington Post talking about what a brave decision it is uh, to abort your child if you know it has Down syndrome. Do you remember, Stu, when we first started working together in the 90s and we were, I, I kept talking about Peter Singer because he was one of the guys that I, I put together of, you know, the, the counsel of a serial killer. You know, I, I, I went out and I, I don't remember who, I, who balanced him. It may have been Billy Graham and Peter Singer. Uh, right. And Peter Singer is a chair of ethics at Pr- Princeton, right? Yeah. Uh, and a guy who has some uh, interesting thoughts on life. <laughs> yeah, he thinks you say. can kill your children. He said you, you you can kill your children up until two, and then he apologized for that and said, "I'm sorry, I didn't mean to. I didn't mean to say that you had to stop at two. I mean, really, there's no time limit. There's no time limit. You can kill your children at and, any time. And the thought was." Uh, consciousness right was yeah, it the, initial... it, the minute that they realize that there is a tomorrow that's when they become human right not at birth not at birth trying to extend that mm-hmm. out a little bit and, yeah. and we talked about how, how horrifying that was and i remember at the time thinking you know it's this intellectual guy at prince and it's obviously horrifying but you know these crazy professors come out and say things sometimes and this is not how the american people feel you know, here we are 15 years later. And this is be call- this is be- it being called this weekend brave. Ready? A new anti-abortion, a new push in anti-abortion circles to pass laws aimed at barring women from terminating their pregnancies after the fetus has been determined to have Down syndrome. Stop using the word fetus. It's a baby and you know it. These laws are unconstitutional, unenforceable and wrong. This is a difficult subject to discuss because there are so many parents who have and cherish a child with Down syndrome. Many people with Down syndrome live happy and fulfilled lives. The new Gerber baby with Down syndrome is awfully cute. I have two children. I was old enough when I became pregnant that it made sense to do the testing for Down syndrome. Back then, amniocentesis uh, performed after 15 weeks. Now, we sample to provide a conclusive determination as early as nine weeks. And I can say without hesitation, tragic as it would have been to feel and ghastly as a second trimester abortion would have been, I would have terminated those pregnancies had testing come back uh, positive. I would have grieved my loss and then I would have moved on. What bravery. I'm not alone. More than two thirds of American women choose abortion in such such circumstances. Isn't that the point? Or at least the inherent point, prenatal t- testing in the first place? No, no, it's no, it's not. No, it's to prepare you. If you believe that abortion is equivalent to murder, the taking of human life, then of course you'd make a different choice. But that's not my belief. And the Supreme Court has affirmed my freedom. Yeah, they also they also affirmed Jim Crow laws. Okay, so <laughs> they affirmed all sorts of crap. They call, they've done all kinds of crap. Um, I respect and I admire families that knowingly welcome a baby with Down syndrome into their lives. Why would you admire them? Why would you admire them? Certainly to be a parent, to take risks that accompany parenting, to love your child for who she is, not what you want her to be. Hmm. 
But accepting that the essential truth is different from compelling women to give birth to a child whose intellectual capacity will be impaired, whose life choices will be limited, whose health may be compromised. Most children with Down syndrome have mild to moderate cognitive impairment, meaning the IQ between 55 and 70 or 35 and 55 for moderate. This means limited capacity for independent living and financial security. Down syndrome is life altering for the entire family. And I'm going to be blunt here. That's not the child I wanted. That was not the choice I would have made. You can call me selfish or worse, but I'm in good company. Yes, I actually did some research. She's in good company. <laughs> There's a couple of movies you watched this all weekend. All the Nazis yeah. agreed with you. An entire nation. All, yep. The, mm-hmm. all the, no, actually, no, Stu. <laughs> That's right. There's... No, the Nazis mm. passed a law in 1939 that you could kill these lives that aren't worth living. You could kill these children with, they started really with um, the uh, the Down syndrome babies. Those were prime targets. Wait, wait, who did they start with again? Uh, Down, Down syndrome babies. Well, they actually started with Baby Nower, but Down syndrome was the first because they were incurable. How brave. Very brave of the, of Nazis. the Nazis. Wow. And you know what's really interesting? Mm-hmm. Um, after parents started figuring out that the Nazis were not taking care of their children, but uh, gassing them in hospitals... By 1941, the German, listen to this, by 1941, the German people stood up against the elites, the doctors, the hospitals, and the nurses, and said, you can't kill children with disabilities and Down syndrome. So, no, (laughs) she actually doesn't have... Uh, a lot of people uh, agree with her. She does have the Nazis, but not the German people of 1941. Wow. Well, that is not very brave of the German people of 1941. <laughs> I'll tell you that. You're right. That's not brave. <sighs> Laws are inconsistent with Roe versus Wade, blah, blah, blah. Think about it. Can it be that a woman have more constitutional freedom to choose to terminate their pregnant pregnancies on a whim? Then for the reason of the baby that has Down syndrome and to the question of enforceability, who is going to police this decision making? Doctors are now supposed to turn in their patients, patients who they owe confidentiality for making a decision of which the state disapproves. Yes, there there is creepy eugenic aspects of the new technology. <laughs> yes, yes, there really is. Yes, yes, and you know what? You know what else? You know what's really creepy is the Germans, the Nazis. Okay, the Nazis were only doing it um, because, quite honestly, m- most of the doctors were creepy freaks that had a death fetish. Uh, but that doesn't excuse the nurses and the other doctors that went along. The other doctors that went along were actually thinking that they were doing the right thing for the Volk, for the people. They were doing something because they were going to, through the creepy eugenics, create the master race and eliminate all suffering. That's what they thought. By eliminating them now, in a couple of decades, we'll have nobody with any disabilities and we'll have a master race and everything will be great. They, at least in their sick, twisted, dark, evil way, thought they were doing something good. Yours is, I just don't want that baby. Oh my gosh. Congratulations, America. We have passed the darkness. Gee, who said this? 
Who I know there was somebody about five years ago that said, if we go dark, we'll go darker than the Nazis. I can't remember. He was probably crazy, and he certainly wouldn't have approved of the New York Times starting a new podcast called The Caliphate. But anyway, somebody said that we will pass the Nazis in darkness. Congratulations, gang. We are on that road. That seemed like a... <laughs> Sorry. I think you misspoke, too. I think you meant to say that we passed the Nazis in bravery. Oh, yeah, yeah, that's right. Sorry, sorry, sorry. Yes, yep. we passed them yep. in bravery. This is Finally. much more brave. Mm-hmm. Much more brave. <sighs> Paying off debt can take forever, and it piles up really fast, but it doesn't have to be this way. You know, you know it's amazing. None of it has to be this way. Life is, life is not hard. People are complicated, but life is really not this hard. <sighs> We're better than this. So listen, you have a lot of debt. Uh, great. Let's get you out of debt. Uh, if you own a home and you have some equity, refinance, consolidate that uh, debt and pay it off. That will make life a lot easier for your whole family. Now, is it the right decision for your situation? I don't know. But a great way to tell is by making a 10 minute phone call to the salary based mortgage consultants at American Finance. Now, these guys have access to every single loan in the industry, and they're only going to offer refinance options if they make sense for your financial goals. That's really important. That's why I said that these are salary-based. They are, they are not paid on the number of loans that they make or jamming you into a certain loan. So call them. Whatever the case may be, American Financing can review your current mortgage, can look for options that may lower your monthly payments or help you achieve a, a better financial status. With American Financing, you'll get straightforward and effortless mortgage experiences every single time. Call American Financing now at 800-906-2440. That's 800-906-2440 or online at AmericanFinancing.net. American Financing Corporation, NMLS 182334, www.nmlsconsumeraccess.org. Glenn Beck Mercury. Glenn Beck. Mm. I'm really interested in this new podcast from the New York Times. It sounds great. About mm. the caliphate? Is mm-hmm. it, what are they calling it? They're calling it the, the caliphate. caliphate. They're calling wow. it caliphate. It's an interesting yeah. title. Yeah. Uh, well, they've been they've been recording it now for like three years. Three, three years. years. Wow. I think it's a comedy or a parody of something because, of course, we all know the caliphate is nonsense. Uh, right. But, uh, and, well, I... This is just a... Uh, they're, they're just documenting the creation of the caliphate. That's all this is. The good thing is, and you have to feel good about this coming in on a Monday morning, right? Yeah, yeah. You think to yourself, hey, you know, I, I talked about this a long time ago, uh-huh. the caliphate, and uh-huh. at the time uh-huh. was mocked for it, and now uh-huh. you're going to get this this sort of like, uh, hey, you know, this Winston Churchill moment. No. Where, where like, no. the New York Times is going to no. write op-ed after op-ed nope. saying how, wow, nope. Glenn Beck was right that whole time. No. Uh, because right now. recognize right, no. your brilliance. I mean, yes, it was years later, and you had to go through a tough time. Mm. But that was the same thing with Churchill. Mm. He went through this tough time, and yeah. then at the end... Here he is, decades later now, we all look back at him in this real mastermind who did the right thing through that tough time, which <laughs> yeah. was, it's really something he's been yeah. praised for, and yeah. you're going to get that treatment yeah. now from the New York Times. No, I'm going to get exactly the same treatment I've, I've uh, been getting for uh, bringing up the Nazis. Uh, you know, now that the Nazi movement is really starting to take root, but 
you know, anybody who's paying attention could find that easily, but nobody's paying attention. And when it finally does rise up all around the world, everybody will be shocked by it. Well, we ran that through the Caliphate special February 2015. Which was yeah. how many years ago from right now? About uh, about three. So huh. they couldn't have possibly known. That's exactly right. I, wow, it's weird. Congratulations, New York Times. You're on top of it. <laughs> Glenn Beck. Mercury. You're listening to the Glenn Beck Program. I had an interesting email exchange with my good friend Don Imus, who is uh, no longer doing the Imus in the Morning program. Uh, and, uh, and that's a good thing. I mean, the world celebrated when that happened, but uh, he's an interesting guy and uh, a good friend. And um, I, I've joked with him because you can't have a serious conversation with Don Imus. He is he's absolutely everything he, that he is on the air times 10. Uh, so you can't you can't have a serious conversation with him. Um, but I expected him to be dead a long time ago, and so did a lot of his, well, for many many reasons, but mainly from cancer, uh, and his doctors thought he would be dead uh, as well. We have a couple of friends who have been uh, a friend of the movement and a friend of uh, the blaze and this program and everything from for a long, long time, uh, Gwen and Adam Rich, who have... Uh, just written a new book called Live a Legacy on the Go by Implementing the 5% Solution. Make your own luck. Welcome. How are you guys? Good. We're great. Good. So, Gwen, you were diagnosed with cancer. What kind of cancer and when? Okay, so this goes back to 2012 in November. It was a pretty uh, a double whammy in our host household, November 6, 2012. So watching the election, we saw that Obama was going to get elected, and then we got a telephone call that... I got the definitive diagnosis of stage four metastatic breast cancer. You should be dead by now. Uh, yes. If you look at the stats, the stats bear out that um, my chances of being here, I just met my five-year um, marker, and I am in the rare category of one out of every four women who make it to this less stage. Than, less right. than one out of every four women and make it five years. You have been, you have been, you've, you look good now. Right. And you look like you feel good now, and you have not. I mean, I don't mean to. I don't mean this the way it sounds. You have not always looked and looked like you felt well. Right. 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 What are you doing? What's happened? What, it's a lot, and that's what we talk about in the book. It's small actions that I do on a regular basis that have led me to feel as good as I am, and, and a huge portion is with my health. You know, when I got my diagnosis, you know, of course, I had a lot of reasons of why I didn't want to die. I mean, I have four children. I have my pu- my husband, and I didn't want my parents to have to bury a child. Notice how I made the list there. I did. I noticed that. <laughs> I was I at the bottom that. of the list. but I'm, No, I'm, actually, Paris, but let's go ahead. And then, you know, through trying to live a life of meaning, and it was very important for me to leave a legacy. Um, I forgot what I was going to say. I'm sorry. No, you're just talking. I said, so what happened? So you. Oh, and so it, it was paramount for me to do anything that I possibly could to live beyond the expiration date, beyond what the doctors said. You know, don't give that date such so much power. So let's quickly. For me to empower myself. So let's quickly just go through the, 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 the diet thing that you're doing. Right. Because this, this, I think, is the same thing that Imus did, and he's still alive today. Right. Yeah, I mean. 
from the moment from I left the doctor's office that I found out that I had cancer, I stopped eating sugar. I took it out of my diet. And even right there at that appointment, my oncologist said, it doesn't matter. And I had lost so much weight and they just want you to put on weight. She said, eat anything you want to. And I left thinking, okay, yeah, 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 right. No. Okay. <laughs> I'm going to stop eating sugar. And from then also I stopped doing carbohydrates because, you know, if you get to the whole thing of mm-hmm. feeding your body, the sugar, my cancer feeds off of sugar and the whole process of the spike in glucose. And so changing my diet was like a no-brainer. I want to do whatever I can so I can see my kids and those life cycle events that we all take for granted that we're going to be here for. So what's your diet? So I try to stick to as much as possible. No sugar, no alcohol, no dairy, um, no gluten, no wheat. So we talk about, I do a lot of juices so and mostly vegetarian with a little bit of um, protein um uh what else am i but missing I think here it's, it's more than just the diet glenn yeah it's oh, the whole but, protocol right there's a supple and, and what what uh is important is that you first of all you don't give up traditional protocol that's paramount right but you can supplement it with functional medicine and and uh uh integrative medicine and that's i think what has really given her that boost and what has given her uh helped her quality of life so tell right. me about because you, you the book is the five percent solution so tell me about a adam what is the five percent solution well it's 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 small changes it's it's almost like a, a geometric progression people try to take too big of a step to whether it's politics overton window stuff yeah okay you take small incremental steps and before you know it you're standing on the other side of the room right Okay, I mean, so you can apply this to health, you can apply it to education, you can apply it to politics. Uh-huh. Um, you know, the audience has all kinds of problems. The one thing that you left out of the the uh, title of the book is says stop complaining. Yeah. Okay, so um, as a Jew, I'm Jewish, we're Jewish. <laughs> yeah. Okay, uh, that's one of my favorite pastimes. <laughs> okay. Gwen is a, is a, is a, uh, an anomaly Mm-hmm. Everything is positive. Drives me out of my ever-loving mind. So why you're alive today? I think so. I mean, I people don't believe this, but when I got my diagnosis, two things were apparent to me. I was relieved, and I thought it was a blessing. Now, who usually thinks that? I mean, you have to look at what happened to being misdiagnosed over eight sure. years with eight different doctors and eight different radiologists who read my mammogram, and nobody found the cancer. Okay, and I, there's eight pl- years, so you are way beyond where. Oh, and yeah, yeah. So when I got my diagnosis, and I, kn- I actually didn't think I was going to be here. I mean, I wanted to be, and again, trying to do everything that I could to, to lengthen my stay here, yeah. to live longer Here's- than anyone thought possible. So to get back to your point about our book is about small actions. Well, if you get a cancer diagnosis, I mean, you're up here, you're overwhelmed. Okay, all the things you need to do. Break it down into small things. What can you start to do today to make a difference? Everyone listening here today has problems, right? Some can be a lot suckier than cancer. And if everybody does one thing, one small action to move yourself forward, that's how you get started. It's, it's almost like, I mean, this can be applied even to the gun thing. We're it, talking about a constitutional change. That, that, that's right. I mean, that's insane to, to think we should start there. Right. There's so many little things that we can do to protect our children, to protect our schools that we should. If you want to talk about a constitutional convention, good. Continue to talk about that. 
Right. But do the other things as well and maybe start there first. Right. Yeah, that was definitely a topic, but I didn't want to go there thinking, yeah, you know, yeah, that's, yeah, no. you know. How yeah, I know. So, so um, you know, you said legacy and you've started your own, uh, you know, purse line and everything else. What, what, what role did that play? That was a huge role for me because when I got my diagnosis, I was really struggling that I wasn't going to be able to live a life of meaning that I wanted to and to leave a legacy. For me, the hardest thing was to know that I was going to leave this earth without leaving a legacy. So I quit everything I did with work, everything, and it took me six months to figure out what I was going to do. And it just by happenstance, or not by happenstance, you know, I started making purses at home. And this was with leather. I'd never done that before. And I really liked it. And it was around the holidays. And I thought, okay, I'm going to make purses for the women in my life for the holidays. And so when I thought about my mom, you know, and all the things that had to be special and the functionality, and she's a cancer survivor, that's when the light bulb went on, where I can take my passion of sewing and take it towards uh, handbags that raise money for breast cancer research, bring awareness and help comfort and connect with the cancer community. So that was my first thing that where I could be doing something I was passionate about because the key here to find a solution to your problems it's is passion. to use your passion. Find your passion. Find something that you love. And so my handbags were my legacy. My children came up with the Gwen Marie. We called it Gwen Marie Collection. And from there and my journey, I want to impact more people with my story. I think so many people can be helped through my story. So then it was the website, The Rich Solution, and now it's the book. And the and the the, the purses are something tangible, right? Mm. That you that you can give to somebody that uh, that, that it has meaning, has living meaning. Well, That's if you want to share and connect your passion with other people, one way to do that is to create something tangible. You both have the privilege of doing this every day. You are on the radio and TV, and we create. You have this platform. Nothing tangible. Nothing tangible. You know, when you talk about the small things, Glenn, this started back with us with you back with american revival these were little small little things that motivated us motivated millions of people restoring honor i mean i couldn't believe it i mean 500 600,000 people came from all over the world really all across the country to meet in washington dc in one of the finest times of the year i mean it's not like the heat's oppressive or anything like that <laughs> no it's beautiful I mean, August, you know <laughs> yeah so uh but it, it it was motivating you have had great impact on our lives and it and these were all small through the restoring events she got to speak at restoring love yeah which and here in dallas huge that's impact right for me at the women's conference the women's conference right sure right yes that was a life-changing event for us just like most of the restoring so the so the so the the point here and and uh i enjoyed reading your guys your work and your thoughts and the and and what you're doing and and it's a um entire uh healing process it's not just it's not just food no it's it's and uh, it's not just cancer right i mean listen you want to you want to know what's fun in the rich household on a Saturday night? I mean, good God, do I want to hear this question? <laughs> I mean, listen, we have we have a son who's bipolar. Okay, I mean, you never know what's coming down the pike there. We have a daughter who is uh, diagnosed with lupus. We have a son who was diagnosed with something called thoracic outlet syndrome, mm. who uh, got Which hooked on on uh, mm-hmm. opiates. Fun on, at at the rich household on a Saturday night when he's going through withdrawals. Man, you haven't seen living. 
when you're dealing with that, that's some fun stuff. <laughs> and you say and this how, with a smile on your face, which is I say it with I, just, I mean, it yeah. just, it's, no, it's this just, is the point of the book. You're still everybody positive. Everybody has well, these Well, you have to be. And it's mm-hmm. a mindset if you want to overcome your problems. And, I, and we wrote this because I think a lot of, a, a lot of people complain. And so it's, it's, you have two choices when you have problems. You can complain or you can find a solution. Or and you can use the concept of achar ayut. Achar ayut. It's a principle. I'm glad you said that because I couldn't say it when I read it. It's a <laughs> yeah. principle in Judaism of taking self-responsibility. Responsibility for your own actions. Right. And so I've done and that in every area that. of my life to help me feeling as good as I am. And again, living beyond my expiration date. And so that's what we write about in the book. So if I can, you know, overcome cancer where I am with the incurable cancer, look what others can do with their problems. How is, what's the diagnosis now? You know what? Honestly, I haven't looked because I'm going beyond that. I am going to, I'm thriving to live as long as possible with anyone with my stage and type cancer. What kind so, of, what, what, I don't want to hear that. No, there is no date on it. Yeah. What, I'm what, here what for the of, long haul. Kind of God has me that. here and I am not going to leave until answer. I am that's, done. That's, that's a good your own answer. book, man. That's a great answer. <laughs> Listen, what I tell you? No, oh, seriously. Um, Gwen, her, her, um, her uh, cancer is, is incurable. It's inoperable. Ultimately, we know what's going to get her. Yeah. And ultimately, we all die yeah. and we all know it's just under... What, what time, time? and under what what circumstances? Yeah. So it is a mindset. It's a it's it's faith. Faith has played a tremendous role in our lives, um, and that didn't. Yeah. I mean, we always had the foundation, but I remember saying the same things my kids are uh, saying now. Yeah, I don't believe in God. What little man? Mom and dad talked. I mean, but the, uh, my folks, her folks, set the foundation, and it has served us well. Now that as we uh, what mature? Is that something? <laughs> yes, although, yes although, that's although, a good word. That's a good us, word. I mean, listen, I haven't matured since uh, diaper training. But, so, uh, it's, uh, but we the, can move on from there. The name of the book is "Make Your Own Luck" by Gwen and Adam Rich. Uh, well worth the read. And thank, thank you. you, thank you for having. Thank us. you. You bet. God bless. All right, let me tell you about Simply Safe, the home security company that you should have watch over your family. This company has transformed from a company that had 10 employees to the fastest growing home security company in the nation, protecting over 2 million people. And they give you the power. They've, they've just released their brand new uh, security system, the all new Simply Safe, been completely redesigned uh, and rebuilt. They've added new safeguards to the product. So you don't have to worry about power outages. You don't have to worry about Wi Fi or cut landlines. They've done everything they can to make sure that this thing will call police if there is a problem. It is wireless, so there's no wiring in your house, and there is no contract, so there's no strings attached. Now, here's the most remarkable thing. This state-of-the-art smart technology for your home, way above and way beyond what anybody else is offering you, is at the same fair and honest price. 24-7 protection is only $14.99 a month. No contract, smaller, faster, stronger than anything. That, I feel like it's a $7 million or $6 million man. Stronger, smaller, faster than anything they've built before. Supply is limited. Get it now. SimplySafeBeck.com. Order now. SimplySafeBeck.com. Protect your home. Protect your family. SimplySafeBeck.com. Glenn Beck. 
Mercury. Glenn Beck. There was a really interesting article that uh, I read this weekend about the uh, psychology of progressive hostility that I think is really, uh, really interesting. It's a, a, a woman who is a centrist, and she said, I don't have any fear of speaking my mind when I talk to conservatives on about a political issue. She said, you know, they listen, I talk more, and at the end, we get along as we always have. But I've discovered uh, when a progressive friend says something with which I disagree or I know to be incorrect, I'm hesitant to point it out. The hesitancy is the different treatment one tends to receive from those on the right and left when expressing a difference of opinion. I am not, as it turns out, the only one who has noticed this. And she goes into the things that people were uh, are saying to her online. People are saying to her uh, in person. And she says there's a real difference. I think that could be generally true, except online. I mean, I've, I find it pretty balanced online, don't you? The anger of both uh, sides. I, I'm no, no, not not. Well, I mean, you get it. You do get it from both sides. Yeah, you I, get it from both sides. Maybe you know. Maybe I'm just though are on both sides. Yeah. Yes. Thank you, Stu. Hmm. Thank you. That is. I heard that. It was the New York Times told me about yeah, it a few years okay. ago. <laughs> right. Glenn Beck, Mercury. Love, courage. Truth. Glenn Beck. 1,000. 1,000. That's how many children's lives have been destroyed by a sex slavery ring in the UK that everybody turned away from. The Sun is now reporting that this pedophile ring operated with little confrontation for 10 years, despite the police being very aware of the situation. The police knew. In fact, the community knew. And little was done. In police reports, it's clear that the community treated these children like prostitutes rather than victims. 11, 14, and 15-year-old girls were labeled prostitutes by their own community. They weren't prostitutes. They were children that were drugged, beaten, and raped multiple times every day. Why was it that this horrible epidemic was allowed to claim so many victims? Racism. The police were afraid that they would be called racists for going after abusers of Asian descent. Racism. They would be called abusers. They would be called racists. They would be called hate mongers. Another British paper, the Sunday Mirror, spoke with a dozen victims who named more than 70 abusers. One victim explained the police tried to prevent her from discovering why her abuser was not jailed. And it was because they feared she would share her story with the press. Well, the world knows now. Not to stop this pervasive evil because someone is afraid of being labeled racist is evil itself. That's the thing about evil. It comes in every color, every shape, every size, every gender. We, we have to be brave and call out evil wherever we see it without thinking twice about what the consequences are and what our society is trying to train us to believe. 
Not to speak is to speak. This week, I urge you to let your voice be heard. Courage is contagious. It's Monday, March 12th. This is the Glenn Beck Program. Did a lot of reading this weekend about evil and then about heroes. People who who stood, whose names we don't really know. I mean, as a general population. Whose names were recorded, but have not been made into a movie. And there are millions of them. People who stood and people who spoke. We are being trained right now. And there's a really logical reason to see it. We're being trained by something that George Washington warned us against, the two-party system. Because the two-party system knows if we can get people to hate the other side and say that they are the problem, well, then we'll raise more money and we'll, we'll be able to rally the troops for the next election. And so that's what's been happening. True or false? I mean, do you really think? <laughs> Let me ask you this. Do you think Democrats, who had been told that Mitt Romney was the most evil man alive, do you think that they felt that? the day that they had to go vote and the choice was Hillary Clinton or Donald Trump? I don't think so. Because I know a lot of Democrats who said, boy, we should have had Mitt Romney. Oh, wait a minute. I thought he was the, I thought he was the devil himself. And now Donald Trump, the devil himself. Mike Pence is worse than, Mitt, than Donald Trump. Really? Wow. We have abandoned reason. We've abandoned thought. We've abandoned even questioning. We live now in the postmodern world. What is the, what is the postmodern world? What was the modern world? The modern world was the world of enlightenment. The modern world is what took us out of the dark ages. It was, it was about science, but it was more than science. It was about questions, being able to ask questions, to speak without fear. A phrase that changed my life, and I didn't really understand it at all at the beginning, came from Immanuel Kant. There are many things that I believe that I shall never say, but I shall never say the things I do not believe. And I remember thinking, what kind of world do you live in where you're afraid to say your opinion? That was in the 90s. I couldn't understand that world. The modern world was the one that was built on questioning power, questioning old thinking. Questioning the things that never had been questioned before, but then fixing reason firmly in her seat and using facts, facts and science. We're to a point now where we're rejecting science. 
if science does not conform to what we want to believe, there is an X and a Y chromosome. A fetus is a baby. It's not a head of lettuce. If it doesn't conform to what I want it to, then I reject science. That's new. Now, the science deniers are the ones who are on the, the side that always held up science, the, the liberal. No, because liberal, liberal, that was a label that was stolen by the progressives. The progressives on both sides took the liberal, classic liberal chair away from the table. The one who says, look, hang on just a second. I, I just want to fix reason. I, I, I want to question. I want to look at the facts. I want to see if it's bared out at all by science. I don't want to throw tradition away. Conservatives say, don't, don't touch tradition. Okay, well, I, I'm willing to if you can make a better case. But now we're not making a case. We're just, we're just shouting people down. We're in the post-modern world. In other words, the world past reason, past facts, past questioning. It's why our universities are the way they are. Because postmodernism teaches that there is no objective reality. There's just your reality. And my reality is different than yours. And because there is no objective truth or reality, well, then everything is good. What you believe is what you believe, and what I believe is what I believe. But notice it has now become militant. Not only is that bullcrap, I understand the concept, but there is reality. There is reality. Because science tells me an X and a Y chromosome. So there is reality, but now it used to be, there's no objective reality. So my reality is my reality and your reality is your reality. But if your reality objects to my reality and you're on the politically correct side, then you're the hater. There is no such thing as objective reality. There is no such thing as morality. There is no such thing as truth and human nature. Whose truth? What truth? Postmodernism is, is linked a lot of times to nihilism. This nihilistic view have you looked up the definition of nihilism lately? <laughs> I did. Nihilism, the philosophical viewpoint that suggests the denial or lack of belief toward the reputedly meaningless aspects of life. I'm sorry, not meaningless, meaningful aspects of life. So you are to, you're to reject or not believe those things that give life meaning. Life, according to a nihilistic uh, definition, life is without meaning, without purpose, and without intrinsic value. 
also used to describe despair. Well, that's what's happening to our kids. That's what's happening. You want to know why our kids are shooting each other? They're nihilistic. Why are they nihilistic? Because there is no truth. There is no morality. There, there, there is no reality. There is no human nature. So there's no value. There's no purpose to life. There's nothing. Why not shoot a bunch of people? Who are you to say? And the sickest among us are the first to go down this road. But if we don't wake up, all of us are going to go down this road. All of us. We'll go down this road a long way until it becomes dangerous. I mean physically dangerous for you to stand up and speak out. We make everything about politics. This has nothing to do with politics. Nothing. Let me ask the let me ask the Democrats. If you're somebody on the left, if Donald Trump walked outside of the Oval Office today and somehow or another there was a there was a city bus on the back lawn and he was mowed down by a city bus, would our problems be solved? And for those of us on the right, who's the biggest boogeyman? Used to be Hillary Clinton. If Hillary Clinton were hit by a bus, would all of our problems be solved? No. So it's something deeper. It's something different. What is it? More in a second. All right. So if you're trying to grow your business, you're trying to hire the right people. And if you have an opening, how do you find the right person? I mean, finding the right person is a do or die. I mean, you, you hire the wrong person and the company just spins out of control. You need something better than just posting your job online and praying for the right person to see it. And ZipRecruiter knew that there was a smarter way. So they built a platform that finds the right job candidates for you. ZipRecruiter learns what you're looking for. It identifies people with the right experience and invites them to apply to your job. Now, these invitations have revolutionized the way you can uh, find your next hire. 80% of employers who post a job on ZipRecruiter get a quality candidate through the site in the very first day. And they spotlight the strongest applications that you receive so you never miss a great candidate. Now is the time to find the right person with ZipRecruiter, and you can do it for free. Just go to ZipRecruiter.com slash Beck. By adding slash back, you can try it for free. ZipRecruiter.com slash back. Glenn Beck Mercury. Glenn Beck. There's this uh, great, um, this great article that I read this weekend. Recently, I arrived at a moment of introspection about a curious aspect of my own behavior. 
when I disagree with a conservative friend or a colleague on some political issue, I have no fear of speaking my mind. I talk, they listen, they respond, I talk some more, and at the end of it, we get along just as we always have. But I've discovered that when a progressive friend says something to which I disagree or that I know is incorrect, I'm hesitant to point it out. This hesitancy is the consequence of the different treatment one tends to receive from, uh, from those on the right and the left when expressing differences of opinion. I am not, as it turns out, the only one who has noticed this. Uh, and there's some uh, tweets. Uh, Melissa Chen, I, I'm a centrist. I hold some conservative views and some liberal views. I'm more afraid of talking to my liberal friends about, uh, uh, about my conservative views than I am about talking about my conservative friends about my liberal views. One Socialist Alliance activist, when I asked uh, where they were getting what sounded like inflated poverty statistics, said, quote, that's a stupid effing question. If you don't believe in gay marriage or gun control, unfriend me. Oh, OK. Um, that's gross and racist, sputtered a red faced Ben Affleck when the atheist and neuroscience Sam Harris criticized Islamic doctrines on Bill Maher's real time. Nobody blinks an eye when Harris criticizes Christianity, least of all Affleck, who started in Ken, uh, Kevin Smith's irreverent religious satire dogma. But Christians are not held to be sacrosanct and protected minority on the political left. Outburst of emotional hostility from progressive activists now described as social justice warriors have become known as getting triggered. Have you noticed this? This is happening now in the gun debate. We're triggering people on the right with the gun debate or we're triggering triggering people on the left. The, the term originally applied to sufferers of uh, PTSD, but activists have adopted it now to describe the anxiety and discomfort they experience when they are exposed to views to which with they disagree. F free speech. One group of social justice advocates recently told vice media as if this is a, a justify the growing belief among university students that conservatives should be prevented from speaking on college campuses. It's no secret that with the rise of triggered progressives, uh, university professors are now increasingly intimidated by their own uh, students. An illustrative example of this alarming trend was provided by the hordes of screaming students who surrounded the distinguished Yale sociologist and demanded his head, which they received because he had made the mistake of defending an email from his wife that his wife had written, gently criticizing Yale's attempt to regulate students' Halloween costumes. Who the F hired you, screamed one irate student in response. You should step down. This is my way or the highway. So how is it that this is happening? Well, we could get into the universities. But let's look at ourselves first. How is it that you become intolerant? It happens when you are willfully ignorant or perpetually incurious about ideas in which you disagree. If you don't know the other side of the debate and haven't really thought about it, you don't really know what you know. Because we are willfully ignorant 
as a society now because we are not we're just listening to sound bites and we're not really thinking things through we don't get entangled in that truly enlightening paradox of the more i learn the less i know the more we learn the the more humble we get jonathan uh height in his book what was the name of his book um oh shoot um uh of the righteous mind righteous mind in his book the righteous mind he says i'm quoting the results are clear and consistent in all analysis conservatives were more accurate than liberals asked to think the way a liberal thinks conservatives answered moral questions just as the liberal would answer them but liberal students were unable to do the reverse now this is really important because when it comes to things like uh gun control they have not thought about our side they've not thought about it it's just easy to categorize all these they just want to kill uh, children to, for political gain they and they just take they, their money from the nra it's such an easy argument it's never challenged right they just love their guns mm-hmm. they can't argue the way we can argue we can argue their side but they can't argue ours now this is not me saying this this is not a conservative saying this this is an nyu professor it's an extension of the trophy uh culture right where you they get a trophy every time they make any argument everyone yes. cheers them on like it's what's happening with these 17 year olds in parkland right every time they go in front of a stage they say oh the, the, well they want to kill people at nra and, and dana lash is the ceo of the nra and everyone cheers as if this is a good point they're never challenged. And that's not just 17-year-olds. It's the entire left. And a growing number of progressives on the right as well. Progressivism is a disease on both sides. We must question with boldness. Glenn Beck. Mercury. This is the Glenn Beck Program. So glad that you've tuned in today. Thank you so much. I was really disturbed this weekend, all this weekend. I, I, uh, I read an op-ed in the Washington Post about uh, abortion and, and, and people who are standing against laws that say we shouldn't kill uh, those with Down syndrome. I don't, I don't, underst- I don't understand it. it. Look, if you don't want to take care of a child with Down syndrome, okay. But there are people that would take a child with Down syndrome. There are lots of them. To just say that it's, you know, hey, it's my right. I, I don't want to have this child. Well, that, that, okay, okay, all right. But it's a child. It's a child. And I think we're so much worse off without a child. But because we are living in this postmodern world where there is no such thing as reason, there is no such thing as questioning, there is no such thing as truth, there is no such thing as, uh, uh, as reality, well, then we can do whatever we want. And this is really coming from the, the universities. Um, they've been pushing it, but they've been pushing these kinds of things for a long time. I mean, remember the, the eugenics movement came from Germany and the reason why it came from Germany over here, the reason how it, in the 1880s, we started going to, you know, uh, our, our elites went to school over in Germany. Our doctors went to school in Germany. 
and they were into this nihilistic God is dead kind of thing, misunderstanding what Nietzsche was saying. Nietzsche actually was warning the people. God is dead. We've killed him. We've killed him. Now what's our God? That's a really important question. Now what's our God? Because we are serving other gods. We are. Whether it's a political party or money or our jobs or whatever, we're serving another god. People who are saying, I, I think I can uh, abort a Down syndrome child, you're serving the god of yourself. I, I want my time. I want my life that I was promised. You weren't promised anything. And I think we are worse off without these children. I'm going to do a special tonight. I want you to watch at 5 o'clock. I want to I want to show you the history and where this leads, where this leads, because I did a lot of homework this weekend because it was really it really bothered me. But I want to go back to um, Stu, do you have the um, professor from? Uh, yeah, some of the audio from that. Yeah, do you have that? Yeah, Roger Scruton. Yeah, Roger Scruton. OK, so Roger Scruton is this. Uh, is a professor uh, that uh, says, you know, we've, we've got a problem. Now, he's speaking in Australia, and he's saying, I, I, we have a problem, and I, I want to talk to you about it, um, but I could talk you, to you about it here, kind of, if everybody will stay rational, but I definitely can't have this conversation in America. So let's play cut one. One of the first things that, uh, that happens when a, a totalitarian government takes over is that the universities are cleaned up. As I say, people who are doing that kind of thing uh, get thrown out. This is what happened when the Nazis took over the Ger German universities and when the Soviets took over, the, the communists took over the, the Russian universities. Uh, uh, and it was the case in Eastern Europe in my day, with the sole exception of Poland, which had universities which were the only universities uh, where every uh, uh, professor was on the right. Uh, that was because the communists were everywhere. But, uh, but uh, on the whole, this is the first move that the totalitarian mentality makes, to stop that kind of free-minded, open scholarship in pursuit of truth. And it may be that, um, that there has to be something like that, as the, uh, you know, maybe after all, in the middle in the Middle Ages, maybe theology was like that. Uh, but the interesting thing about medieval theology is that it encouraged the intellectual method, uh, despite its requirement of orthodoxy. So, so it's really interesting what he's saying is, the, whenever there's a totalitarian regime anywhere in the world, the first thing they do is they take the universities. And the universities are meant to question, hold to the facts, and use scientific standards to be able to decide. And he's saying that we have rejected that just the way they did in Europe, just the way they did in Russia, just the way they do in China. It rejected those scientific standards. And we are entering a new dark ages. And, and you know, that might sound like hyperbole to those who might be listening on the left, but it's can you honestly say that scientific standards have been adhered to? Boy, this is controversial for um, uh, for climate change. I mean, I'm willing to look at the, the thermometer and say, OK, thermometer is going up. Thermometer is going down. I am not willing to project a weather pattern out over 100 years. I'm not willing to look at weather or 
or climate over 100 years because you've already been wrong. Well, you could look at it. You just have to apply the appropriate level of skepticism and uncertainty, which is not allowed. Correct. Then also, you cannot shun those who have a different opinion. Scientific standards rely on you to say, okay, wait a minute, question, question, question. Is there any new data? Is there anything that's changing? Question, question, question. We're not questioning anymore. And that should scare everyone. We need to question these things. Now, I'm willing to, I'm willing to say, okay, uh, global warming is happening. It makes sense to me that maybe man is playing a role in that. I don't think man is insignificant, but I also don't think that the, the planet is, uh, the planet will destroy us before we can destroy it. And I don't want that to happen. I want to, you know, do the things that we can do. I'm willing to do those things if you prove without even proving it's good to take care of the planet. But if you prove to me that we are doing things, okay, so then what's the next step? What's the most effective thing we can do? Well, stop eating meat. Get rid of farms. Okay, how come I'm not hearing that? You only, yeah, you very rarely do. And that's the right. same source of the UN that, that gives us all the rest of it. So it, they, it doesn't happen because it doesn't entail $14 trillion of wealth being redistributed. That's why. There's no wealth redistribution uh, when it comes to the farms. No. You, don't, you don't need laws. You don't need don't. more control. You just people stop. can just do it, right? Just stop eating meat. And of course they won't. I mean, very rarely. It took Al Gore, what, five or six no, it was longer than that. Well, 10 years before he supposedly converted. Right. Um, yeah, it would be interesting to know if that's actually true. But instead of being in a place where you can question things like that, uh, we are in a place where a the Australian government uh, has provided a $19,000 grant to a playwright who has written a play entitled Kill Climate Deniers. Oh, my gosh. The plot... A classic rock band takes the stage in Parliament's House Main Hall, and 96 armed eco-terrorists storm the building and take the entire government hostage, threatening to execute everyone unless Australia ends global warming. Is, is, that, is that more akin to the Dark Ages or to the Enlightenment? Of course the Dark Ages. Of course. Of course, of course. it is. And that's exactly what we're being dragged back into. We, we fought hard as, as man. We fought hard to get out of the dark ages where somebody said, I know the answer and you don't. And I'm basing it on what was then known as something that you didn't use any of your senses. You couldn't see it, taste it, feel it, hear it. It was called nonsense and so we rejected all things that were nonsense we fought hard to get out of the dark ages and we are going back into it and we're being led to a slaughter and we we got to turn this around now listen to what he says about listen to what he says about uh, uh women's studies etc cetera, etc cetera. So we we have been lucky in inheriting universities of that kind. But is it the case that we still have them? Uh, We we have seen the growth of an extraordinary number of new subjects in the university, 
uh, in which it, the pursuit of truth seems to be secondary to something else. Uh, the other thing being the pursuit of some kind of political conformity. If you take a, a subject like women's studies, um, uh, now I know this is a controversial issue, but perhaps it can be talked about freely in this room. You can't talk about it freely in America on the whole. Uh, anyway, there, there is a subject. It's very difficult to imagine that you would succeed in that subject if you didn't have either at the outset or certainly in the conclusion, feminist opinions. And there is a, uh, it's a subject constructed around an ideology. Uh, it might be that this ideology is grounded in truth, who knows? But to question it uh, is something which uh, is essentially uh, made impossible both by the curriculum and by the way of teaching it. And I think you'll find that there are quite a lot of subjects like that growing in our universities in which uh, conformity to an orthodoxy takes precedence over intellectual method. He talks about, so what, so what is the solution? That you replace the, the male hierarchy with female hierarchy? You replace the uh, white hierarchy with the black hierarchy? That's not... That, that's not scientific. That's not thoughtful. That's that's nothing. That's truly nothing. It just makes you feel good it, for a little while mm -hmm. until you realize that people are people. There is an interesting article. Uh, I'll try to get into it tomorrow. That was written uh, on Winston Churchill, and it was an op-ed in the Washington Post, and uh, it came out I think yesterday, and it was talking about what an evil sob. Uh, Winston Churchill was. And in some regards, yeah, when it comes to India, yep, yep, really bad. He made some really bad decisions and was pretty racist. Okay, so does that make him evil? Do we reject all of the things that he did to save freedom because he was so wrong in his time on India. N no. We have to know all of the really bad things about Winston Churchill, and we need to know all of the really good things about Winston Churchill, because it makes him human. All of us, all of us have a really bad side and a really good side. Which one is in control of your life? And are you getting better? You know, what the author left out is, by the time the 1940s were in, Winston Churchill was already regretting the things that he said and did in India. He was already saying, I shouldn't have done that. I wish I would have done this. I, I. He learned What are we learning now? What are we really teaching? We're teaching that, Winston, in this case, Winston Churchill is really, really bad. No, he wasn't. He was really bad here. He was really good here. Now let's have the discussion. So what does that mean? And what does that tell us about us? And then what should that tell us about power? What should that tell us about how to make sure that we're careful with power and who we give power to and how we restrain power? 
But if we're only being indoctrinated that Winston Churchill, as one is an example, is just a horrible human being. That's just an overcorrection. And it takes us nowhere. It takes us to nihilism. Do you remember that big uh, that big data breach with the uh, credit bureau? Well, it turns out it was it was it was worse um, than what they said. What a surprise! An additional 2.4 million Americans were impacted, and that brings the total to 147.9 million Americans. This is the largest breach of personal information in history. That means half of us, half of us have had our identity stolen and could be on the black market. The original 145.5 million Americans had their social security numbers impacted. The additional 2.4 million had their their names and their driver's license stolen. And so now what? Now what do you do? It, it takes one weak link in the system. And uh, hackers and, um, and con artists can take your information and they can destroy your life. Now, there's the new LifeLock, LifeLock Identity Theft Protection, and it's adding the power of Norton Security to help you protect against the threats, not only on your identity, but also on your devices that you're not going to be able to see because they're on the dark web. If you have a problem, they have agents who will work to fix it. Now, nobody can stop every cyber threat, prevent all identity theft, or monitor all transactions at all businesses. But the new LifeLock with Norton Security is able to uncover the threats that you might otherwise miss. So go to LifeLock.com or call 1-800-LIFELOCK and use the promo code BECK. Get an additional 10% off your first year. That's promo code BECK. An additional 10% off now at LifeLock.com. Promo code BECK. Glenn Beck Mercury. Glenn Beck. There's a a lot yet to discuss today. Uh, uh, You know, Stu has promised last week that he was going to drink, I think, Roundup uh, today. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, well, I've already done it once, so... Yeah, it might not be a good idea to do it twice, but we'll get into that a little later. Also, O.J. Simpson, uh, did he confess on TV last night? Uh, And Elon Musk, his plans plans to launch a rocket to Mars in 2019. Did you see about the, the volunteers that are going? Did you see what he said? Yeah, they might die. Yeah, you might not come back. Well, I mean, I think that's blatantly obvious, isn't it? Yeah, I mean, I mean, what's the difference between that and the Apollo? Except it's just a private, you know, it's just a private individual, and that makes you feel like, oh, maybe you shouldn't do it. It's the same thing with the Apollo. Would you go? Would you go? Would I go? Yeah. No. No. You, you won't go to Mexico. <laughs> it's very dangerous. Like, would you go to Mars? I apologize, America, for asking him that question. <laughs> Glenn Beck, Mercury. Love, courage, truth. Glenn Beck. Is Elizabeth Warren uh, a science denier? I mean, when it comes to her own genealogy, she says she just doesn't need it. You know, when you're on the, you know, the hard left is a progressive It's best for your credibility if you can associate with a minority, even if it's a bit of a stretch. So Warren has decided to go with being a Native American. And that's her narrative and that's her reality and that's her truth. 
and she's sticking to it. She doesn't have to prove to anybody that she's part Native American. She knows it in her heart. Fortunately for Warren, there is science to the rescue, thanks to DNA testing services like the popular 23andMe. All she has to do is spit into a little tube, mail it off, and presto, you shut down all of the critics who have dared to question her narrative. So she's going to inject some facts about her Native American heritage into the conversation that she started, right? Right? I mean, here's the thing. Why would you want to solve this? It's almost like the birth certificate. That damn birth certificate thing was such nonsense, but the White House kept bringing it up. The White House kept bringing it up. The White House would refuse to release, just release the thing. Just release it, it's over. No, no. Why? Because it can, it, it paints the people who are against you as somebody who is racist. And thus, I can raise more money and get more power. Warren made her rounds uh, Sunday on the morning news shows. She was asked about the possibility of clearing up the issue over her Native American heritage through a DNA test. And she said, I don't need to stoop to that. I know who I am, and I never used it for anyone. Uh, for anything, I, I uh, you know, she kind of told her West Side, West Side Story uh, tale of her life. Uh, her white father fell madly in love with her part Native American mother, and they had to elope because the father's uh, side was so bigoted, and they opposed the marriage to this squaw that, that she knows who she is. And that may be true, and that's a great story. In a speech to the National Congress of American Indians last month, Warren said, every time I, somebody brings my story up, I'm going to use it to lift up the story of your families and your communities. Wow. That sounds like the perfect fundraising tool, doesn't it? Classic politician pivot. Also sounds like somebody who might be running for president, but she denied that over and over again yesterday. With Hillary out of the way, uh, you know, and the benefit of the, you know, this being the year of, you know, hashtag me too and rabid anti forces, uh, anti Trump forces out simmering on the left. People around Warren have caught a, uh, a whiff of history. They're getting giddy about the prospect of her becoming the first female president in history. I don't know if she's going to run or not. A lot of people are saying, yeah, she kicked off her 2020 campaign yesterday by going on three different Sunday news shows to say she is definitely not running for president. It's Monday, March 12th. This is the Glenn Beck Program. So what really happened to Amelia Earhart's plane? She disappeared over the Pacific and it's been an intense debate ever since. For 80 years, nobody has known what happened to Amelia Earhart. There are three main theories about her disappearance. And there's a reason why I'm bringing this up, because there's news about Amelia Earhart and her navigator friend, Newton. The official government conclusion was she ran out of fuel, she crashed in the Pacific Ocean, she sank or was eaten by sharks or whatever. You know, I don't know if she had a lifeboat. Another theory is that uh, uh, Amelia Earhart and her uh, navigator, Noonan, were suspected of being of spies, and they were captured by the Japanese and tortured and then died at a POW camp. And then there is a third theory, and this one gained support last week in a new study. 
And the theory was is that she survived a crash landing on a tiny coral reef called Gardner Island, and then she died as a castaway. Let me take you back to May 20th, 1937. Amelia Earhart, Noonan, they take off from Oakland, California, and they fly east. She's attempting to be the first woman to fly around the world. And by June 29th, she had made it to New Guinea. Three days later, they took off on a 19-hour flight to their next fuel stop on an island called Howland Island. It was halfway between Australia and Hawaii. But in the overnight, the strong winds blew them off course, and nighttime navigation was poor because you couldn't look up at the stars because everything was cloudy. And you couldn't get above the clouds in those days. So at sunrise... Noonan was finally able to take sighting with his navigation equipment and recalculate the course. They typically cruised at about 10,000 feet, but even in the morning light, it was still overcast below, and they, they couldn't spite, spot their tiny island destination. So Earhart took the Lockheed Model 10 Electra down to 1,000 feet. She was just above the water. The clouds were casting massive shadows on the water, making it Difficult to spot Howland Island. Now, near the island was a Navy ship, a U.S. Navy ship. It was keeping an eye in the sky for Earhart's plane. And at 742, she radioed that naval ship. We must be on you, she said. But gas is running low. We've been unable to reach you by radio. We're flying at a thousand feet. That U.S. naval ship never saw her plane. She and Noonan apparently weren't receiving the radio messages from the ship. And she kept her eye on the fuel gauge and tried to remain calm, but she could tell that Noonan was nervous. He checked and rechecked his charts and calculations, and at 8.43 in the morning, she radioed again. We're on the line, 157-337. Noonan knew they were on the correct line, but because of poor visibility, they couldn't tell exactly where they were on that line. If they missed the island, the next available island was Gardner Island, uninhabited island about 400 miles south, if they had enough fuel to make it that far. Earhart alternated her gaze between the fuel gauge and the vast imposing water below. Fuel was now dangerously low. She and Noonan began to talk about the worst-case scenario, we just ditch in the Pacific. How long can we survive? But then on the horizon, they thought they could make out a speck of an island, just a little bit of land. It had to be Gardner Island. They approached it. She circled the island, both of them straining their eyes for any possible spot flat enough to attempt a landing. After a second pass, she thought, one strip of coil or coral on the southwestern edge of the island would have to do. She took the plane down, noon embrace for impact. She lowered the landing gear. The wheels almost skimmed the water as their crude coral landing strip rushed into view. The wheels slammed into the jagged coastline. One of them snapped off. The, the plane skidded on its belly, violently throwing Amelia Earhart and Noonan around the cabin. But they lived. And over the next week, Earhart used the plane's remaining fuel to run the engines in order to charge the battery that would operate the radio. 
For six days, she sent radio signals for help. Some shortwave radio operators in the U.S. say they heard Earhart's voice saying that Noonan was seriously injured and that she had minor injuries and that they were on a reef southeast of Howland. Investigators have identified 57 credible reports of a distress call from Earhart. But after a week, the plane ran out of fuel and the radio battery died and the tides washed the plane off the reef down to the depths and the world no longer heard nor was anyone looking for Amelia Earhart. The USS Colorado was sent toward Gardner Island, but by the time it got close, the mysterious radio signal stopped, so it didn't actually go all the west of the way to the island to look. On July 9th, 1937, the Navy had a plane fly over Gardner Island, and the pilot reported signs of recent habitation were clearly evident, but there was no sign of Earhart's plane, so the Navy moved on. The strongest proponent of this crash landing theory is Rick Gillespie. He's a pilot and accident investigator and the director of the International Group of Historic Aircraft Recovery. He has made 11 trips to Gardner Island so far, and his team has found some improvised tools, shoe remains, pieces of a pocket knife, bone fragments, and a small piece of metal that they believe is from the exterior of Amelia Earhart's plane. He plans on returning to the island to search underwater for to search underwater for her plane. Now here was a thing that happened last week that was really interesting. They examined some bones that had been found on the reef. They said they belonged to a woman of European descent and the right height and the right build is Amelia Earhart. Here's the problem. They didn't find those bones recently. They found those bones in 1940. And they were taken to a, a Fiji doctor who said, no, 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 these, these bones are of a man. And he was a, he was a stout man. And so the world dismissed it. But now technology is different, and we could measure those bones and look at what they are, and we can see that it was a European woman, most likely Amelia Earhart. Well, when I say we can examine those bones, I don't mean actually examine it. We had to take the measurements from the Fiji doctor because... Once the Fiji doctor said, oh, well, these aren't Amelia Earhart's bones. He just threw them away. So now all we have to go on is is the measurements in his book. And now through new medical forensics, we can see that it indeed looks to be the bones of a woman about the size of Amelia Earhart. Until Gillespie goes down to the coral reef and starts to really search, the world may never know. Building an emergency food storage plan is the cornerstone of being prepared. Now, you've heard me say that for years But this is the week to build that foundation right now, a four-week emergency food supply. That is breakfast, lunch, and dinner. One 
food supply, four weeks of breakfast, lunch, and dinner. You buy one, and you get the other one free. Now, it's $198, but you buy one, and you get one free. These, normal, these kits are normally over twice that, uh, uh, that uh, price. They're usually $217. So you purchase one right now at $198, and they're going to give you another one for free. That's four weeks of food, breakfast, lunch, and dinner. You order two of these, you get two free. Call right now, 800-200-7163, or order online at preparewithglenn.com. These kits include everything that you need packed in a rugged, slimline tote. The food lasts in storage for 25 years. It's shipped to your home for free, discreetly, and there is a purchase limit of two per order. But that'll cover a family of four for four weeks. Supplies are limited. Do it now. Have your family prepared in case, God forbid, the worst happens. Call 1-800-200-7163. 800-200-7163. Or preparewithglenn.com. Glenn Beck Mercury. Glenn Beck. Deep in the bowels of our studios in Las Colinas, Texas, in our underground vault, welcome to the Glenn Beck program. Uh, I don't know if you saw South by Southwest. Did you pay attention to Elon Musk? Yeah, it was kind of announced the night before. So, mm-hmm. there, and there's a huge crowd that lined up to see him speak. Oh, I, yeah. it was a Q and A for an hour, which is you know I'm really any topic. So, kind of a it was a big it was the high profile event of the weekend. Uh, he talked about. I, I, let's start here with uh, with the space stuff, uh, talking about f- flights to Mars. Here's Elon Musk from this weekend. What I know currently is the case is that we're, we are building the first uh, ship, the first Mars um, or, inter- or interplanetary ship um, right now. And I think we'll be able to do short flights, short sort of up and down flights, um, probably sometime in the first half of next year. And this is, this is a very big... Um, Booster and ship. The liftoff thrust of this would be about twice that of a Saturn V. So, it's uh, it's capable of doing um, 150 metric tons to to orbit it and be fully reusable. And that's the equivalent of like the Union Pacific Railroad, um, or or having uh, ships that fucking cross cross oceans. Um, until you can get there, there's no way for all of the entrepreneurial energy to. Um, you can't, you can't do anything. There's no way for all the flowers to bloom. Mm. Um, once you can get there, the opportunity is, is immense. Um, and um, so we're going to do our best to get you there and then <laughs> make sure that there's a, an environment in which um, uh, entrepreneurs can, can flourish. Um, and, um, and, and then I think it'll be, it'll be amazing. It's amazing because he, he pretty much said, yeah, look, we're going to try to get you there. We're going to do our best. May or, you may or may not live. I mean, you have to be honest about it. I think anybody who, who's going to Mars knows that. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I, I, I'll, I, I would say you could give me there. I'm not sure I'm coming back. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. That's a long way. You get me there. I'm like, I'm, I'm, I'm not expecting the return trip. You know, I'm, yeah. that's a nice bonus. Yeah. Well, you know, that's what happened to Matt Damon. Um, exactly right. right. Thank you. Uh, <laughs> Now, uh, Glenn's been talking about AI uh, quite a bit. You've been on this uh, bandwagon. Mm -hmm. Uh, Elon is definitely one of the most negative people on artificial intelligence. Here's uh, what he said. It's actually not. 
Yeah, well, he's <laughs> he's very he's not the most negative. <laughs> okay. That that being said, listen to what he says about AI. The rate of improvement is really dramatic. We have to figure out some way to ensure that the advent of digital superintelligence is one which is symbiotic with humanity. I think that's the single biggest existential crisis that we face, and the, and the most pressing one. Mm. And how do we do that? I mean, if, if we take it that it's inevitable at this point, that some version of AI is coming down the line, how do we, how do we steer through that? Well, I, I'm not normally an advocate of regulation and oversight. I mean, I think one should generally err on the side of minimizing those things. But this is a case where you have a very serious danger to the public. And so therefore, there needs to be a public body that um, has insight and then oversight on to confirm that everyone is uh, developing AI safely. Mm. Um, this is extremely important. Um, I think the danger of AI is much greater than the, the, the danger of nuclear warheads by a lot. Um, think of that. And nobody would suggest that we allow anyone to just build nuclear warheads if they want. That, that would be insane. And mark my words, AI is far more dangerous than nukes. Far. So why do we have no regulatory oversight? This is insane. It's because they don't understand it. I talked to people in Washington, D.C. about it, and their eyes glaze over it. They have absolutely no idea. They have no idea what it is, how it works, what's coming. You know, and I've talked to several people who feel the same way on that. We, we have to get involved as a government. There's other people that believe we have to do a Manhattan Project uh, because China is already doing this. And whoever gets there first rules the world. And China is way ahead now. This, that's what they say. That China is way ahead of us. If we don't control this, uh, you don't want that in the hands of totalitarian governments. People who, you know, say, I could just kill your baby because we have a limit of two. You don't want those people programming. That's the problem. We don't have any regulatory oversight over what Russia or China does I know. when it comes to this. That's why the regular oversight, the, the regulator oversight, I mean, is important. We should we should have that. Perhaps uh, scientists are trying to police themselves in the West. It's not going to stop everybody. Uh, it's certainly not going to stop Russia and China. Uh, but the, the biggest problem is the brain drain. You know, we had the Einsteins, we had everybody, the Oppenheimers, uh, for the Manhattan Project, and that's what saved us. We may not be the ones, we have them now, but we should be draining those brains from all over the world to get them here, not the other way around. Elon Musk also went on to say that... Uh Auto, uh, auto driving cars are going to take over by the end of next year, which is about as fast as a prediction I've ever heard, uh, even faster than you. Holy cow, yeah. End of next year, he says, the technology is getting so good. Glenn Beck, Mercury. This is the Glenn Beck Program. Welcome to the program. Glad you're here. Putin had an interesting uh, conversation with Megyn Kelly uh, over the weekend uh, where he blamed the Jews for hacking into the uh, the election and causing all the turmoil. 
I hate it when they do that. <laughs> I don't know, you? They do it every time, don't they? Oh, oh those darn Jews. Darn it. Uh, and then, have you seen the video of the missile that uh, they launched? The hyper uh, hyperspeed missile? I haven't seen the video. Ten times but... the, uh, the speed of uh, sound? Ten times the speed of sound. Says it cannot be stopped by anything. Um, he test launched one. Uh, it's off of you know one of their fighter jets. Uh, you know, it looked like a regular missile to me, you know, coming off the bottom of the jet, but I don't know. Apparently it, it's 10 times faster. Um, and so he showed that that's, you know, that's, that's, that's a little concerning. I personally think that's Reagan's star Wars. I think this is the, the final push to get America to spend itself into oblivion and, and collapse from the inside, just as we did, uh, to them in the 1990s. And, and he would love that. He would love that. Uh, also, tonight on television, we're going to be talking a little bit about the um, the amazing uh, op-ed piece in the Washington Post about how we should get rid of Down syndrome babies. Well, how brave it is to do it. Oh, and not just that we should do it, but mm. that it's brave to do it. Yeah, I, I, I'm going to show you some things uh, that you've never seen before uh, that uh, kind of take that on. I'm going to take that on head on, and it's it's time we decide. Pat Gray is joining us now from uh, the Pat Gray Extravaganza. Let me give you a, a hypothetical. Yeah. Uh, let's say my my wife thought I cheated on her mm-hmm. uh, years and years ago, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and and then somehow I I convince her no, I, I I didn't cheat on you. But twelve years later, mm-hmm. I bring it up to her, and I say, "Yeah, you remember when you thought I cheated on you?" Let me give you a hypothetical. Mm-hmm. And then I say to her, if I cheated, here's how I would have done it. <laughs> and then I describe to her uh, going to my mistress's house. Mm-hmm. And I describe to now, her. Now, is this a different mitri- mistress or is this the no, same? No, this is the same mit- mistress. This is, this is hypothetically speaking. Hypothetically, but it's all the she same. thought I cheated on her. All with. the same people. Okay. Yes. Yeah. All right. So I describe to her what my mistress was wearing uh, what the temperature in the room was, <laughs> what kind of perfume I smelled. Mm-hmm. And then I just went crazy because I was just so overwhelmed. And I went nuts. And then there was stuff all over the place. And <laughs> but there we're was, not going to ask the follow-up. I, I, yeah. woke up, I woke up naked next to her. And then, right. you know, hypothetically, I got up so, and got dressed. And So my drove question home. would be, uh, I wonder if she would think I actually cheated on her if I did that. Yeah, I think she would. But you the, know? the question would be, why would you do that? That's a really good question because yeah. I felt so good about putting one over on her 12 years before that I just couldn't resist telling her <laughs> I did it. <laughs> I don't. I am so narcissistic that I must have her know that, yeah, I had another woman and uh, I tricked you. Hypothetically speaking. Hypothetically. Okay, so what Pat is doing is he's recreating what happened last night on Fox Television with the, quote, lost OJ tapes. Uh, It wasn't lost. (laughs) They never explained quite where they were lost or how they were They were lost in the Fox vault. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, And uh, they were were lost until now. And did OJ confess? Now, this is the the weirdest thing I've heard— uh, because he constantly, continually says, hypothetically, hypothetically, hypothetically. But he wrote a book called If I Did It, where he describes exactly what he would have done if he did it. But it's all hypothetical. Mm-hmm. But listen to this interview. You want to take it 
Uh, sure. Uh, here is, here's what you're talking about, him constantly talking about how hypothetical this interview is. And you write in the book, now picture this and keep in mind that this is Purely hypothetical. 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 Yes. Why don't you tell me what might have happened on the night of June 12th, 1994? <laughs> And let's just walk yeah, through the I, Well, first of all, it's, this is very difficult for me to do this. Uh, it was very difficult for me because it's hypothetical. I know and I accept well, the fact that like people are going to feel whatever way they're going to feel. Again, like if you actually took the murder of the mother of your children seriously, even if you didn't do it, mm-hmm. why on earth would you go on television and, and write a book called If I Did It and, and try to profit or... It makes... Absolutely no sense. It's one of the strangest things I've ever seen a person do. I mean, no. this is this whole life was this accusation, and he comes out and essentially admits it, then just says it's a hypothetical. You watched it last night? Yeah. Did you watch the, mm-hmm. the conversation afterwards, the roundtable? Uh, Wasn't there a conversation it, afterwards? Yeah, I think they expanded into like a two-hour thing. Well, yeah, it was a two-hour thing. Yeah, okay, so yeah. where they were say, where she was saying the reason why he said it was hypothetical? Yeah, uh, that was staggering to me, because yeah. she basically said, and they didn't really delve into this but the they might have but it might still be in a maybe. vault we'll find it right. years from now <laughs> the most important thing that was said last night to, uh, as far as i was concerned was what um judith regan what judith regan yeah. said he told her he said i want to do this hypothetical because i, I want to confess but i don't want my children yeah to know. the quote was to, to he wanted to she he wanted to do it in a hypothetical because he wanted to quote maintain deniability with his children uh that's amazing. So she's saying he actually confessed to her. Mm-hmm. Now I, I don't know. I mean, it seems like it's a confession, but for her, for him to say to her, "Yeah, I, I did do it." So, but well, I want deniability with my kids is unbelievable. Let's go because um, his his confession is just really weird. Mm-hmm. Um, here's here's where he describes how Charlie uh, went with him over to Nicole's house. This guy Charlie shows up. The guy who had recently become friends with. And uh, I don't know why you had been by Nicole's house, but it told me you wouldn't believe what's going on over there. And uh, and I remember thinking, well, whatever's going on over there has got to stop, right? So we kind of hooked up together, and, uh, you know, I'm kind of broad-stroking this. We go over, get into Bronco and go over. Let, let's just go back and do the details. Where did you I'm park? Let's do the details. You park in the hypothetical in the alley. Right. You park in the alley. Yeah. And you put on a wool cap and gloves. Uh, in the hypothetical, I put on a cap and gloves. Right. Okay, stop for a second. Can we stop for a second? Um, you reached under the seat for. Notice, notice he's drawn a weird line here. She says, can we stop? Can we go back on the details? Where did you park the car? And he said, I don't want to talk about the details. Mm-hmm. And then you Why put not? On the- if it's a hypothetical, why? Right. Yeah. Strange. There would be no reason. Yeah, he's, no got, a reason. Weird, he's got a weird line there. Let You're me just make, making all this up. Why not tell us the let details? Me make, let me make a case in the other way. He didn't do it. And he's like, I'm not going to use, I'm not going to tell you uh, the cap and gloves thing because that's in the murder trial. And that's what everybody, you know, we talked about the gloves, you know, so I'm not going to. That would be a good theory if he didn't uh, go ahead and And admit that he had a glove and that he must have taken it off because they found it. Uh, He admits that in in the confession part. Okay, let's continue. 
uh, in hypothetical, I put on <laughs> cap and gloves. Right. Yeah. And um, you reached under the seat for? Um, a knife. I always kept a knife in that car for the crazies and stuff because you can't travel with a gun. And I remember Charlie saying, you ain't bringing that. And I didn't, right? But I believe he took it. Charlie took the knife? Yeah. Oh, there you go, yeah. In the book. Yeah. Yes. In the book. Because Pat was making the case before we came on that maybe Charlie is essentially his alter ego or is you know mm-hmm. is on the other side of him. And he says, I reached under the seat to get the knife. And then he, then he a moment later says, I don't, I don't think I took it. I think Charlie took it. And then I don't know if we mm-hmm. have we get this far there's, into his confession. There's one more clip here. Right. Here, real quick. Uh, here, it's uh, fascinating how this transpires. Yeah, listen. As things got heated, uh, I just remember the coal fell and hurt herself. And uh, mm. this guy kind of got into a karate thing. And I said, well, you think you can kick my ass? And I remember I grabbed the knife. I do remember that portion, taking the knife from Charlie. And to be honest, after that, I don't remember. Except I'm standing there and there's all kind of stuff around. And um, um, hmm. <laughs> what kind of stuff? It's, it's Blood insane. and stuff around. You know, we, Blood. You know, I hate to say this, but this is not a right, right. I know we got to back up again. Right. <laughs> it's know? okay. I'm going to back this up. This is hard. This is this hard. Is hard. Yeah. Yeah. It's really hard. That's why I'm laughing. It's weird. If you made uh, a hypothetical in a book, why uh, would you bl- write the hypothetical as you blacked out and don't remember any of the details of the thing you're talking about? Like, you could hypothetically uh-huh. remember them, right? Yeah. I mean, he's obviously... Well, he may have been, again... He play his yes, side. Yes. He, he may have been saying, well, I don't want to upset my children, and so I don't want to describe all of that. I don't believe him for a second. I uh, want you to know. Right. If just, he doesn't want to upset his children, this shouldn't have ever happened. Yeah, you just yeah. don't do this. He, yeah, but he's, a weird, he's got weird lines. Yeah, he does. I, I'll tell you, Charlie grabbed the knife, but I won't tell you that I put the gloves on. I mean, hello. Uh, very, very bizarre. Do, you watched the whole thing, Pat? Yeah, mm-hmm. what was all your, two hours. What was your impression at the end? 100% he did it? Oh, yeah. 100 percent i mean that's what judith regan said by the way she said uh she absolutely is convinced that he was the murderer there is no doubt in my mind and she was the one she she was the person she was doing the interview there but the other part of this which i think is kind of interesting is she was also the book publisher and i think it makes an interesting case against our daily moral outrages that we all have because this interview and this book was supposed to come out back in 2006 mm-hmm. and everyone got like super excited and angry about it and she got fired over it and the book pulled the, the, the you know, they pulled the book they canceled the special I mean, this is a man essentially a, a confessing to a murder i wish we had this information this many years ago mm-hmm. instead everyone got so fired up for like two days and they pulled well, everything because, wait 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 because there's a difference i mean i guess we're watching it as history now before we were watching it to sell a book yeah, but it was also history. It was 12 years before. And it was, here's a man. I mean, it would have been nice to know. I would have been, I would have liked Did to Did you really learn this. anything new here, Pat? Uh, no, not necessarily. It just cemented everything I believed. It just, it made it, it crystallized it in my mind that, yeah, there's, I mean, he did it. When he's looking, he, did it. he doesn't look at her. He doesn't look at the camera when he's talking about hypothetical he looks off and he looks down when he's talking about those things. And then mm-hmm. when he says, you know, when he gives the details, have you noticed that he's looking up and he's looking yeah. at her? And he yeah. slips into that first person thing. He's describing yeah. it. I mean, he probably thought, 
he, he, that he could make a, a lot of money and and if he like if someone probably came probably Judith Regan came to him and said hey if you actually confess to this thing you're you're already cleared of it so you've already you know you've already gone through the whole trial and everything so you confess to it now it'll be the biggest book of all time and he thought well I need to you know I can't admit to it but I'll do it as a hypothetical either that or he's he's looking for some way to admit it without admitting mm-hmm. it in some psychological thing. But I just don't think he's that guy. I think there's, I don't think he there's cares. some part yeah. of him, though, that, that wants to be loved, that has to be loved, yeah. that um, he made the comment several times that I thought I built up enough goodwill, and then I was really surprised how quickly people turned on me. Well, when you cut I, somebody's well, head off. Yeah. yeah we, I, <laughs> I mean, people were, when he was in the Bronco chase, everybody supported him. Go, yeah. OJ, go. And... I think that was the case until all the preponderance of evidence started, you know, cascading out in the trial. That's when people turned. Yeah, and you see they that were with him the whole time. I was until it turned out to be uh, you couldn't deny it. Yeah, I mean, it shows that in the polling too. Over the years, people have a, a, a actually even the African American uh, community, which yeah. was very supportive initially, yeah. has turned on him because we know that that was about politics. We, we had made that about restitution. We had yeah. made that about finally a, a black man can beat the system. And one of the jurors actually admitted that in one yeah. of the recent documentaries. Right. Yeah. Um, yeah. That, so that's, I, it, the other thing that's interesting about this, too, is he says he dropped the glove, um, which he's like, I can't remember, but I know I dropped it at some point. Because it was kind of, in the trial. Right. They yeah, found it. Yeah. And they, it kind of gets rid of the whole defense, yeah, which was they planted the glove. Right. Right. Like he's saying he dropped right. it. <laughs> Very bizarre. And he talked about how he took off the clothes and, and apparently Charlie disposed of them for him. Uh, really amazing stuff. OJ Simpson. Aren't we glad we played political part of politics with a guy that all people in America pretty much now would agree? Yeah, he should have gone to prison. He chopped the head off of two different. Oh, no, people. no. That was hypothetical. That was, a, that was yeah. just a hypothetical, guys. <laughs> right. what, what were you saying? Blinds.com is just the best at what they do. Mark in uh, Arizona said, I heard about Blinds.com through Glenn Beck. I had faith in his suggestion. And so I got online. Uh, Amazing service, quick delivery, and the installation was a breeze. They looked fantastic. So I ordered two more two weeks later, and I feel exactly the same. And I'm going to tell all my friends. Go to Blinds.com. You're going to find the perfect blind shade, shutters, drapes to upgrade your home for less than almost any other home improvement that you could make. You're going to get free samples, free shipping, free design consultation. Plus, they're going to guide you through the installation step by step. So find out yourself why over 20 million Americans have trusted Blinds.com to upgrade their home, making them the number one online retailer of custom window coverings. And now through March 14th, save up to 20% site-wide when you go to Blinds.com slash Beck. That's Blinds.com slash Beck now through March 14th. Save 20% site-wide. Blinds.com slash Beck. Rules and restrictions do apply. Glenn Beck Mercury. Glenn Beck. Well, a lot of comments today on the on the Washington Post writer who says we need the right to abort babies with Down syndrome. Uh, Paul wrote in the average age that Down syndrome patients live is now 60. That's up from 25 in 1980, largely due to the, the, the to the fact that we no longer institutionalize them. As for autism, 54 is the average life expectancy 
Are we going to be like the Nazis and rid society of all undesirables or just those with Down syndrome? Uh, Rick writes in, now it's Down syndrome. Next will be any sort of birth defect, genetic uh, abnormality, gender. It will never be enough. Life is a gift. It comes with imperfections and frailties. We're born. We're not built. Tonight... Uh, I'm going to give you a, uh, I'm going to give you 22 minutes uh, a history lesson that I don't think that uh, you will forget. Things that you have not heard most likely before, and uh, why this is so dangerous to rid ourselves Glenn of the poor Beck. Down syndrome Mercury. sufferer. <laughs>